Blog Talk Radio. Wow, I thought I was the one who were typically... There we go. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. Come so the ironic part of this was I was going to play the intro and then say, guess who's running today's show? And then that happened. So, I guess that goes out the window. Welcome to the show, everybody. Seth and Sean Sports Radio. On the eve of the World Series, Game 1 of the World Series, lots of college football. This is Notre Dame making a return to glory, perhaps. Lots of major league baseball managers being hired. The Mets getting a new guy. And mediocrity, once again, rules the NFL. Wow. Not, I wouldn't say there are lots of like home run hitting points tonight. We're not going to hit one out of the park, but there certainly will be a lot of singles. Welcome to the show, Seth. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. And you actually forgot to add one of the more interesting things is um, I was at a luncheon with Nick Mangold today, uh, former All Pro Center of the Jets, and we actually touched on a few. He touched on a few subjects which were interesting to say the least. And I'll talk a little bit about that. And uh, shout out to Ross Brenner for. From Signature for inviting me. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, an interesting week. Uh, th- at this point, last week, I was, there was still some optimism about the Yankees making the World Series. That's not going to happen. There was no optimism about the Giants. That has kind of been maintained. And we'll talk a little bit about Notre Dame and Penn State and the, how college football is so much better than the NFL is this year. It's not even funny. Um, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with your new, with your, your new manager? No, I'd like to start with the fact that I actually, you know, there are four te- There were two teams in the uh, series tonight, and 162 games ago, I picked one of them to get there. I'd like to claim that I actually had the Dodgers. For, not that I went off the rails on the prediction. I understand that. But the predictions at the beginning of the year, and I went back and looked at this today. Yes, I had about 10 spare minutes today. And I went back and looked at this. Seth, do you remember who you picked in the World Series? I don't, but knowing my guess would probably be Cleveland and Washington. That is spot on. You picked Cleveland and Washington and Cleveland to win the World Series. I also had Cleveland to win the World Series, but I did have Dodger Blue in the World Series. So I'd like to say that I got 25% of it right which is more than you. And, you know, that doesn't happen very often, so I'll take the credit tonight since you are five games up on me in the uh, NFL pick'em pool. So I'll take, my one, I'll take my one shot. So now that we have our two World Series participants, the Dr. Blue or the Houston Orange, I will allow you and myself to reset. And game one tonight, Clayton Kershaw versus Dallas Keuchel. I would like to know who wins game one and who wins the series. Mr. Kamens. Uh, I believe the, the game is in L.A., I think. So I'll go with Kershaw in, in game one. Um, 
I like Houston. Uh, I, I do. I I realize that the that the Dodgers are probably a better team overall. I like the dual ace, but I like Verlander's pitching it like it like he was five years ago. I like the dual ace of him and Keuchel. Um, I think their hitting is better than the Dodgers. Although I know with Turner and Seager, that it's not by an enormous amount. The big advantage I I think that the Dodgers have is the bullpen where Kelsey, uh, Kelsey uh, where Jensen has a huge advantage over Tim Giles. I think it's a pretty I think it's a pretty pick'em series. I think Houston I believe Houston's the underdog in it, but I will take Houston in six. So, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Clayton Kershaw's postseason record. Do you do you know it or are you aware of of his I, I know it's record? not it's not great. I'm assuming it's like three and oh, two not, or four it's, three. It's not Seth. It's not good. It's not even great. Is it's it two and good. four? He's six and he's a, seven. Okay. Over over the he's pitched in the playoffs. So he's six and seven. So he's pitched in the playoffs. It's all one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years. He pitched two games in relief. So let's say six years. He took the loss in relief, by the way. So he's six and seven. He's got a a four point four zero ERA. He has not pitched well in the playoffs. Uh, his whip is, is still his whip. It's 1.12, and he has struck out 10.3 batters per game. And I do remember him coming to City Field. I'll tell you flat out, every person to a man and a woman in that, in that stadium was hoping more and more pitches would be pitched so he would be out of the game that much quicker because he was shutting the Mets down. I was at the only game where the Dodgers won. Of course I was. So the fact is, he's still a dominant pitcher. So you think Kershaw's going to win tonight. I assume then you have the Houston winning in six, or do you have them taking it in L.A. in seven? I have them taking it in six. So I, I think it's two. I think it's two three two three uh, two two one one one, but I'm gonna check that out right now. Is it two? Is it two two one one one? Here, I'm I'm looking it up as well. well. That's what we're checking it right now. It is two three two. It is two three two. So you have so, the Astros winning in Dodger Stadium in Game Six, a week from tonight on Halloween. Yeah, I have them winning tomorrow. Okay. If Houston winning tomorrow. I have them winning two of the yeah. three at home, and then I have them yeah. in game six. So game six, so if Keiko pitches today and Verlander pitches tomorrow, you then have a day off. So Keiko probably pitches game four, and Verlander pitches game potentially game five. Thursday, Friday, I, uh, no, 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 he wouldn't. Well, he would, that would be on three days rest. So Keiko's going to pitch one and four. And Berlin will probably pitch two and six. So, yeah. there you go. And then you got you got Berlander in, make, in the in the. That doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense either. Um, and who would pitch? I assume you have Morton pitch game three. Who in the heck would pitch? And then if Heichel's four, I guess you have McCullers pitching five. I thought they well. It seems like a str- today is Tuesday, right? So Wednesday. Thursday, Friday, 
Saturday, Saturday is a night game. It's a night game, but that's on his fourth day. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So he's pitching on three days rest if he comes back on on Saturday. I can't see that happening. Well, let me put it this way. I can't see it happening if they if they have a lead. If they have if if they don't have a lead going into game five, he definitely could pitch that. Are you talking about Verlander now? Or are you talking about- I'm talking about both of them because both of them will be pitching on three days rest. Because Verlander pitches tomorrow, which is Wednesday, then he has Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and if you have him coming back in game five, don't. That's you, you don't. You I have don't. him coming back in game six, which is Tuesday. So Verlander's on regular rest, but Keiko is not by any stretch. Keiko's on three days rest. No, I have Keiko coming back in game five. I have him going four-man rotation, not three. Okay. That's okay. I didn't. So game five, so you have him coming back on Sunday. Okay, so you have Morton and then McCullers. I yeah. think McCull. I think game four. I think Keiko comes back in game four if they're if they're down two one. If they're down two one, certainly. If, yeah, I think if they need, if yeah, two one, two one, and then going into game four at home. No, you're probably right. You're probably right. If they're down three zero, I think he comes back. But two one, yeah. you're probably right to go with their yeah. with their guy. I mean, yep. you know, this, so, that's, that's the way I see it. And I just have a lot of faith in Verlander. I really do. I think, I think they lose tonight. I think they're still a little bit, you know, kind of basking in two nights ago from their, or I guess three nights ago from their, uh, and I think LA is going to be hyped for their first World Series game since, seriously, since 90, is it since, 1988. 88. Yeah, since it's, it's, it's Gibson. And that's right, because I went to the playoff game against the Mets when they with uh, what do you call it? When they caught Jay Howell with the sandpaper. I actually think that was the last baseball game my dad ever went to, because we the Friday night. I remember the Friday night. It was it was we had to go because I wasn't going to let us not go, and there were three. We had a three hour rain delay in 40 degree weather, and. We sat there, we sat there, sat there. It got rained out at like 11 o'clock at night, and then we went back in noon. And my father said, never again. And I don't think he ever went to another Mets game. <laughs> well, he's probably made out on not going to another Mets game. Okay, so let's do a post-mortem. Oh, well, wait a minute. How about, who's your, who's your prediction? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, have, the, I have the Dodgers in seven. I think, the Do- I think Kershaw pitches game one, potentially game four. I think he'll pitch on three days rest. I don't think he has an issue doing it. I think he pitches game four, which is on Saturday, and potentially again on Wednesday, game seven, if he needs to. I don't think he has any issue pitching on three days rest and doing it twice if he needs to. So I got Kershaw winning, potentially pulling a Mickey Lawlich and winning three games in the World Series and taking home the MVP. So I have the Dodgers in seven. Now, truth be told, I did not have the Dodgers. I did not have the Dodgers at the beginning of the year. I had the Indians. Oh, that's why we that's why we restarted number one. Number two, I would be impressed because Bob Gibson is not walking through that clubhouse door. So 
if Clayton Kershaw can get to Game Seven, you know he he probably he very well may be pitching against Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton, while brilliant oh. in Game Seven against the Yankees, not probably the same at Chavez Ravine. You know, I'm not sure Bob Gibson won four ga- three games in a World Series. Well, he didn't I'm look that up. But I, I, you mean ever? Yeah, right. So the so the well, that's what I'm saying. I don't think he did it. Well, I assume he did because he pitched in three World Series. He pitched in '64 when they beat the Yankees. He pitched in '67 when they beat uh, when they lost to the right. Tigers. He won he pitched in '68 when they beat the Red Sox. Well, hold on a second. I'm looking this up. So he went seven and two in the World Series, and in '67. He did pitch three games against the Red Sox. Yep, he went 3-0. Three complete games, actually. 26 strikeouts. Oh, this is insane. He had a .7 whip. This, this is it's insane. I mean, he led up 14 hits in 27 innings. So he pitched That's in why. three World Series, 64, 67, and 68. In each one, he pitched three games. Yeah. And in each one, he pitched three complete games. Pitched nine complete that games in nine starts that in the I, World Series. That I did not know. Um, I know insanity. he pitched a complete game. In, I know he pitched a complete game in game seven uh, in 67 because they were – it was about one all, and that was when Kurt Flood misjudged the, the, the Jim North up uh, triple which gave Detroit the lead that they would hold on and, and win. Um, and that was also, of course, the year that Denny McClain, that was the year of the pitcher where Denny McClain, um, actually 31, and six. 31 and six, and he, he wasn't the ace. Cause that was Mickey. Well, that was Mickey. Right. Lowell, who pitched who won the three games, not Denny McClain. Um, but Gibson was as great a big game pitcher as there's ever been. Um, and, the fascinating you know, thing about Gibson, the fascinating thing that I found out about, and I had to go look this up because you always wonder when a guy has a ERA of 1.12, which he did. He had an ERA of 1.12 in 1968, which is the record right now. The man lost nine games. Nine games. How on God's green earth do you lose nine games with a 1.12 ERA? So I went back and looked it up because I was kind of amazed by this. So the most runs that he gave up in that year in one game was three, which skews your <laughs> ERA like, well, it skews your ERA like crazy, right? Because if your ERA is one, you got to pitch like five shutouts to get that two runs back, right? One would think. I mean, the ERA is an average, except for the fact that he let up three runs in 13 innings. <laughs> So he pitched almost a game why, and a half. You can understand why guys like him and Bob Feller just don't really have a lot of respect for a lot of the players in today's society in, in today's game. When you see, you know, when you see the, the number of innings that the number of games that were pitched. I mean, you look at the Yankees, and we'll do the postmortem on, on them in a second. Where you were hoping as a Yankee fan you were hoping that, they, that the starting pitcher would go five innings and let up two runs or less and then let that bullpen take care of it. That would have been laughed at 
in the 50s and 60s. And now it's prevalent. Seth, they call, they have a new stat because sabermetrics, for those that are unaware, sabermetrics is the new statistic. So it's on base percentage, it's slogging percentage, it's OBP, which is a combination of the two. And they don't count wins. They're not big on wins because wins has really nothing, has very little to do with the pitcher. It has a lot to do with how many runs you get because you can pitch and give up eight runs in five innings. If your team gives up, uh, gets nine, you pitched an awful game, but yet you're still going to get the win. So what they do is they have a new statistic called quality start. And a right. quality start, my friend, is when a pitcher pitches six innings or more and gives up three runs. Three runs or less. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I'm saying, right? So Gibson gave up three runs once in an entire season, in 13 innings, and that was his worst start of the year. That's not a quality no. start. That was his worst start of the year. So, oh, and, and I, I mean, kind of when you think through time, you know, I'm saying over the last – now, obviously, we never saw Gibson pitch or Koufax in his prime. Based on what you know, for one game – is there any pitcher you would take over Gibson for a winner-take-all? Maybe Randy Johnson? Maybe? Because at his best, so he was I got, absolutely unhittable. So, so, so I, got, I, got, I, got five, I got a five-pitcher, I think, and you can pick any one of them as far as I'm concerned. Okay. So let's go. So it's very hard to pick one, right? It's very hard to say, I want the one guy. It's not Wayne Gretzky, where he's so far ahead of everybody else. Right. That if it's I want the one guy argument. with the puck, I, I want Wayne Gretzky. So I'm going to say Bobby Orr, but good luck with that argument. Okay. So my five. Pedro Martinez, prime, was just as good as anybody I've ever seen. Randy, Randy Johnson. Bob Gibson. Tom Seaver. And that's not a home. that's not a homer thing. If you look at the Tom Gibson. Tom Seaver's stats, he may be the second or third best right-handed pitcher of all time. Those stats don't lie in there. And number five, number five has always been a toss-up because his stats are so different than everybody else. But when you look at him compared to the rest of the era, he is so far and above and beyond everybody else in strikeouts. And for that era, I take Walter Johnson. Uh, I, I, don't, I wasn't going. I, I wasn't going back to, to, to pre to the pre to the to the twenties and thirties, because then you're throwing okay, in guys like Christy Matthews, Christy Matthewson, and Grover Cleveland, and Grover but Cleveland I, Alexander. But, but the, it, it's too difficult. But the thing is that so so why I pick Walter Johnson, and then I'll get off of it, and I understand your point is Walter Johnson threw for over thirty five hundred strikeouts. A record yep. that lasted until Steve Carlton. So in the seventies. So it's kind of like saying Babe Ruth with his home run record is Walter Johnson with his strikeout record. So Kirstie Matthewson, Cy Young, any of those guys didn't top Walter Johnson. And Walter Johnson had had the second most wins of all time until a plethora of other people came along. But anyway, go no, on. he still he still has the second most wins of all time. 
Walter Johnson, I believe, mm. has 400 wins. No, I think he I has 358. Wrong. I think he has 358. Going to look it up. Okay, who are your who are your five? If you had to pick five pitchers well, to win okay, one game. Uh, well, again, to win one game or to be a rotation? Because no, the, one win. One five, game. Those are my guys. One game? Okay. You're right. He does. Good. He has 417. My bad. There you go. Um, Correct. See, every once in a while I can pull this, this stuff, this bleep out of my bleep. Um, okay, five-man rotation for, for pitchers in their prime. I, and you know what? I'm sorry. Colfax, Colfax has to be in there. So That would have been the one I was, that, that, was, that, was, that was the one I was surprising. I surprised you forgot you didn't include. It would be yeah. – and I'm pretty much the same. It's, it's Gibson – it's Koufax, it's Johnson. <sighs> See, a guy like Maddox, as great as he was, was not a great big to- uh, big game pitcher, if I remember correctly. I mean, it's hard because there's guys like Smoltz, who was an unbelievable big to- big game pitcher, better than Glavin yep. and better than than. Than, than Maddox, but would I take him for a one-off? Maybe as my number two reliever, but probably not as a starter. Um, I may take a guy like almost like not even, not even a Hall of Famer, but a guy like a Vic Rashi who was so tough. Um, but I mean, I guess in a practical, I don't, I don't think I would have Pedro there, as good as he was. I don't. Think I, I don't think I would have Seaver there as good as he was. I'm kind of going through in my head, so I need a minute or two. Um, no. Ladies and gentlemen, just 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 to articulate. There's no right answer to this question. No, Absolutely no right answer. Yeah, and I'm not go, I'm not going back to the fifth. I'm not going back really past the fifth. I'm not going to do it Johnson or, or, or Young or anything like that. So I'm trying to kind of I'm trying to kind of go through who I really thought were the toughest pitchers. That I know, maybe, maybe I don't know. Those would be my top three. You okay. probably have this confluence of of Pedro and Matt and, and Maddox and uh, and Spawn and you know guys like a you know again guys who are not as great a pitchers but almost like the Robert Ory. Yeah, that just pitched big games really, really well. Yeah, guys like a preacher. Well, Andy, Pettit, you know, Andy, and, Andy Pettit's got to be in that conversation. Jack Morris. Andy Pettit. Andy in that Pettit was very good. Jack Morris is very good. You know, I don't know who I would go with for the last two. I know my if okay. I had two relievers, you know, one would obviously be Rivera. Um, in the second night, I would probably put I'd probably use Smoltz, although he pitched predominantly in the playoffs as a starter. But I'm using, yep. I, you know, I would take him over Eckersley, and I would take him over. I'd take him over any reliever ever other than Rivera. Um, I don't know. I'd have to. I'd really have to kind of think about it. But those are the three that come to mind: are Gibson, Koufax, Johnson, because those to me are the three most untouchable pitchers that I know of. Interesting, because if you talk to anybody that's our grandfather's age, they could swear that two of the greatest pitchers, and granted, they. One of them only lasted about three years. Was Herb Score before he got hit? Until he, he got hurt. Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah, so he got hit in the eye, and Bob Feller. But that's a hard one because I don't think the Indians ever made it with score. I don't know if they won. I don't know if he was on the 48 team that won the series. I don't think he was. He wasn't. He he absolutely was not. No, I'm saying they would swear that those would be him and Feller would be the great uh, untouchable stuff. Untouchable stuff. Everybody's – look, before the internet, before cable, everybody had their guy, right? I mean, there was no – we're going to see every single player. So we saw the guys that we saw, and then we saw the World Series. And that's why, in some ways, and that is a great segue to my next question, that's why, in some ways, the World Series ratings have been so down. Because I've seen Clayton Kershaw pitch over and over and over again. I've seen the Astros, and I still can't believe the Astros are in the American League. That still boggles my mind every time I say it. But I've seen Altuve. I've seen Correa. I've seen Carlos Beltran on seven different teams. But I've seen him, <laughs> so, including the Mets. Where, yeah. So I think that has – and look, I'm, I'm open to other people's opinions. And if you'd like to call in, 760-283-0846. Seven six zero two eight three zero eight four six, and I am checking this week to make sure that I'm not missing anybody that is calling it. So I apologize to my brother for doing that last week. But the fact <laughs> is, I think the ratings go down because you get to see these players over and over and over again. It's not, it's not a special think, event anymore. I think that's part of it, but I also don't. I think the ratings for this are going to be very good, and. Because there's one very basic thought process here. You have the two of the five biggest metropolitan areas in the country are participating. Sure. One of them, sure. really, a baseball town almost above anything else, and who have not made a championship in 30 years, and a, a, a base, and, and then a Houston team, which, I mean, let's be honest. I don't know if it's a baseball town or a football town. I mean, it's a football state, but it's not really – I mean, the Houston Texans have not exactly instilled a great deal of loyalty. Um, but with a, t- a state that's been devastated by hurricanes that wanted something to – you know, kind of like with the, with the, Met, with the Yankees in, after 9-11, you know, I thought as, as bad as Fox is going to get annihilated for, uh, for the U.S. losing the World Cup, I think – I think the ratings for this are going to be sensational. I really do. And you, you kind of look over the last few years, yes, the ratings have been down. Last year they were good, if I remember correctly, because you had the Cubs. But you're not, talking, you're not always talking these top five markets, top eight markets. And while like, teams like the Cardinals and the Giants are beloved in their hometowns and in their metropolitan areas, and especially San Francisco, is sizable. It's not Houston. It's not New York. You know, it, it's not – they're not the same size. They're just not. Okay. So, okay, so let me ask you this, right? There is no Thursday night game. So I think baseball actually makes out. There's no Thursday night game this year. They play tonight, they play tomorrow, and then they play Friday. And that may very well be designed because there's also no Monday night game. So they're not going head-to-head with the NFL on prime time in their weekday slots. They are going head-to-head actually almost directly head-to-head with a game five, if necessary, at 8-16 at night, Dodgers play at Houston. Does the rating of that game beat the rating 
of the Sunday night football game. Who's the, who's the Sunday night football game? I don't think it even matters. Last year, the Sunday night football game stunk. Hold on. Sunday night football uh, schedule. I really don't think it matters. But it is Sunday the 29th. It's the text. Uh, Sunday night is the Steelers versus the Lions. Oh, no, I think baseball beat that. Because really? it's not an okay. Yeah, I do. It's not – they're too decent. I mean, Pittsburgh is like a national team, and Detroit's a good market. But it's not a particularly exciting or – it's not a meaningful game for the most part, unless, of course, you have Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown on your I was just going to say, unless you're the Savage on sports radio, fantasy football team. But, Which got absolutely whooped this week. So congrats to Paul Miyake for pretty much taking us to the woodshed. Um, but we're five we scored two. 100. And, we scored 150 points without more than two points for our kicker, two points from Demarius Thomas. We did all right for for having a really lackluster effort. And next week we have to overcome a couple of buys, including a quarterback buy. But we're hoping that Brett Hundley takes the week off, decides the playbook, decides how to look, throw the ball again. And comes back with a stellar week in what we'll be in. We'll be in week nine. So, okay. So, you believe that the ratings for baseball will be better than football. I disagree. And I think the ratings for football will be better. And we can check that out. I'm sure it will be all over the Internet what the ratings are for these two games uh, come uh, next, next Tuesday morning. So, we'll be able to tell you that answer next week. So, we moved on to the NFL. We had some, a, a really lackluster season so far, in my opinion. We always talk about mediocrity in a lot of sports. We actually do talk about it a lot in football, but there's always been those two teams, either two teams in one conference or two teams in another conference, or even two teams, one in each conference, that set themselves apart from everybody else. So we just don't have that this year at all. It is as, as, I don't even know, the most parity across the board that I've seen. You look at the AFC East where we thought and we both predicted that, that New England would not go perfect, but they go 13-3, and 12-4, somewhere in there, and they'd run away with the division. I agreed with you. I thought that they would absolutely run away with the division. So we have Miami, Buffalo, and New England all tied atop the NFC East at four and two, and the Jets are at three and four, and the Jets could very easily be four and three. Could very if easily they be five and two. Sunday. Exactly. They could very easily be. They outplayed New England. They could have done a. They, yeah, it, it's it's shocking to me. I mean, the best the best team in the NFL this year by record has been the Eagles. And think about it: the Eagles at six and one beat the Giants. On a, a one in six team that may legitimately not win more than two game, two more games the rest of the season, on a sixty-one yard field goal by a rookie kicker, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty much it's a free for all right now. Um, you know, we've as we said, we've discussed the last year that it has become more. It feels like it's become more and more mediocre over the last two years, and this is this is become this is this is becoming more and more obvious. And it, 
the, the play is not as good. The players are not as good. The coaching is obviously not being done. Now, again, I don't know if you can really blame coaching because coaching, you know, a lot of these guys are, should be learning these things at the collegiate level. And, you know, there's so many moving parts about this kind of thing. Even look at the Jets. The Jets are three and four. Josh McCown has been solid, to say the least. Um, better than expected. I think, Sean, I think you'd agree with that. But what does that lead to? What's the best case? You know, what's the, what's the end game for this Jets team? Best case, they go seven to nine, eight and eight. And you still don't know what you have in Hackenberg. You still don't know what you have in Perry, uh, Petty, excuse me. So what exactly is, it's nice that they're playing well and I'm happy for, Jet, you know, I don't know happy for Jets fans is the right words. Cause I don't really know what the Jets fans are rooting for, but it's just, it's nothing. There's nothing left. And I feel that way there's, with a lot of these teams. They're just, a lot of these teams are just in nowhere land. There's nothing worse than being mediocre. Nothing worse than being mediocre. And that's what the Jets are at. And that's what a lot of teams are at. And the, and look, you the Eagles who are, I believe six and one now, six and yep. two, six and one, six and one, six, six and, and one. one, lost two of their bigger players last night in Jordan Hicks and Jason Peters, the left tackle, the, fantastic all-pro left tackle. So it, it remains to be seen if they're going to be able to keep that up with themselves. I mean, next week, where do they go next week? Are they off next week? They're actually no, off next they're week. not. No, they play San Francisco next week. Oh, they play San Francisco, so they have pretty much a gimme game. But the thing is, is any game in the NFL really a gimme game? I mean, the Niners – almost beat Washington. They then almost beat the Chiefs. I mean, the Niners are in it all the time. There's no gimme games, but there's no, like you said, it's absolute mediocrity. And I don't really know. I mean, there are some good games this week, though. Jets play, the Falcons play, come to the Jets. Cowboys and Redskins, your favorite teams, play each other. And the Giants are off because we needed Eli for one game. And, of course, we don't have so, That's by the okay. way, Seth, you, win. you won. Eli won a game. He beat the bye team. <laughs> well, not much to say about the Giants. You know, as I said, you know, this is a team with – it's amazing, a team that, that I had in the playoffs. I believe you did as well, although I could be wrong. A team that has seemingly, you know, Super Bowl aspirations – and they're one in six, and if they go four and twelve, that's almost an accomplishment. I, I, I'm ready for the suck for Saquon. I'm, I'm ready. Um, and I, I can never root for that because I just, as a Giants fan, you know, I know you should. It's, it's hard to do that, but man, they just—they were their offense is horrendous, and it's not going to get better. You're not fixing this team this year. So it'll be interesting to see how things play out. Does Ben McAdoo keep his job? I'm sure I'm going to ask you this at least ten times over the next yeah, ten you weeks. But does he keep his? Oh, I, I I think what's going to happen is this. I think Jerry Reese is going to be fired, and they're going to bring in a new GM, and maybe they say, you know what, you'll have one year to fix this thing, or they'll get rid of you. They'll get rid of him. 
I don't know. I think Reese is gone. Because the, the, the weakness last year, other than the 2007 draft, they haven't been, pheno- you know, they, they've had a couple of nice picks, but they haven't been had phenomenal drafts for the most part. He's been there 10 years. We all knew the weakness is the, is the offensive line in the running game. And they didn't bring in anyone other than DJ Fuker to fix it. And DJ Fuker is not Anthony Munoz walking through that door. So, oh, I'm, I'm well yeah. aware. I, I know you are. So did I like the Brandon Marshall signing? Yeah, I did. I, you know, that it didn't pan out, I understand. But the biggest weakness there is the offensive line, and that's obvious to anyone who follows the Giants. I'm just not a huge believer in using a top three pick for, for offensive line. And we've talked about this before. Um, you know, I want, I'm hoping they get, that they have the opportunity to get a Saquon Barkley, who I think will be a superstar, and they can use a second, third, and fourth round picks to pick alignment. And I will be perfectly happy. Because I don't think they're trading Eli. I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, they got to do, but this team has a lot of problems. To say the yeah, least. I, I don't have any disagreement whatsoever. Okay, so let's move on to the to the college football and college football playoffs and the revitalization of your and my favorite team, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. <laughs> now, they're not my favorite team. They're not Seth's favorite team. And they're certainly not the Power Conference's favorite team as if they went out, do you see any way that they are not in the college football playoffs? Yes. Um, How? They win it. Well, I don't know. If they win out at eleven and one, have in their one loss, a one point loss to a top five Georgia team, they'll probably make it. I just don't think they're going to win out. Um, I think USC has been awful this year. They're losing to Washington State was not great, and they've lost. They've had a couple really tight games. Utah, another one. Sam Donald is not picked, is not played up to the number one. Oh my goodness! I'm sorry. Um, number the number one ranking, which we've discussed. You know where he would have. The suck for Sam is just hasn't planned that hasn't hasn't played out, for lack of a better term. And they are, he, Notre Dame has a good off is a is probably the best offensive line in college football. And they have a good running back with Josh Adams. Their defense is, is good. Watching my son choke a little bit. Um, but they still have Miami. They still have Stanford. They still have Army and Navy. The Army's already qualified. Navy's been for a bowl. Navy's already been ranked. Um, I don't think they went out. I don't think their passing game is good enough. Behind with Wimbush, and no, I'll, look, I'll be honest, I'm not rooting. For, I don't root for Notre Dame. I never have. So we'll see how it plays out. But so let's assume that right? they do go undefeated. Like I said before, an assumption of undefeated. Can you keep them out? Because I don't think you can, right? You can. I don't think it'll happen. I don't think they will. I mean, I think, I think they would probably make it. Um, you would have to have 
Alabama, you concede. You would probably have to have TCU go undefeated as well. Um, TCU number four in the polls. Yep. You you may take Clemson over them with one loss, winning. Alabama's going to play Georgia, right? Right, but here's the thing. At some point. So, So let's say Georgia loses, Georgia could drop. But then, yeah, how Georgia do you put can... Notre Dame in? Then, how do you put Notre Dame in over Georgia? You can't, right? And then there's still the whole Penn State, Ohio State, Wisconsin. Oh yeah, thing. that too. So, so I mean, I don't at eleven and one. I think they're right there. Um, but I wouldn't say it's a certainty. Again, we're also halfway through the year. Who knows what's going to happen? It's just too well, early that's to the beauty of talking. That's the beauty of talking about it, right? Because we don't know what's going to happen. Okay, so yeah. who were you surprised by this this week in college football? I was actually pleasantly surprised that Syracuse played well against Miami. And truth be told, I didn't watch a whole lot more college football. I did see uh, a couple of the finals and the highlights. And look, Penn State looks really, really good. They do. Um, and for as much hype as Jim, as Jim Harbaugh got, came, got coming in three years ago, um, they're 6-5 and five in their last 11 games. They haven't beaten Ohio State. I don't think they've beaten Michigan State. They have no offense. Yeah, Sprites is hurt. O'Corn hasn't been anything special. Um, he... They're, they got embarrassed by this Penn State team, which is an offensive juggernaut. There's no question about it. But they, I was surprised how badly they got beaten, how convincingly they got beaten. And right now they're the fourth, best, fourth or fifth best team in the Big Ten. And that's not what you're paying Jim Harbaugh $10 million a year for. So I, I think actually Kansas score, having 20 yards of total offense – I don't think I've ever seen that in a game before. Um, they had negative yards at the half against TCU. I don't. I, I think the final was forty-nine nothing, but I could have think it could have been one hundred and forty-nine to nothing. Um, one of those games. And I think you know what you're looking at right now is you have you still have those top seven, the SEC. You know LSU looked phenomenal, ran for like three hundred and eighty yards, but you're looking really at three or you're looking at Alabama. Then you're look, you know, you're taking a step down and you're looking at the Penn state, Georgia, TCU. You know, I'm not, I'm not sold on Miami as a, as, as a playoff team, I'm not sold on Notre Dame as a playoff team. You know, and next week this, you know, you have this monster game, you have Ohio state, Penn state, and that will give us a real feel for where Penn State stands at this point, because Ohio State's been very, very good since the Oklahoma loss. Agreed. Ohio State took that loss and pretty much decided to climb right back into it. And so let's say we're halfway through the college season. I think we're about halfway, right? Mid, mid-October? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So Shaquan is definitely the Heisman runaway right now, right? I mean, he's got nothing. No, he's, he's got no No, I don't think he's a runaway. Yes, he does. Really? Bryce Love, is gonna, okay, so Bryce Love from Stanford is going to break all of McCaff- Christian McCaffrey's records. 
he's going to be right there. The issue is nobody sees him because he's in Stanford. And ESPN, in their infinite wisdom, all these Pac-10 games are starting at 10.30, 11 o'clock at night. So the only East on the East Coast who's staying up late enough to watch them is me. Um, you have McSorley. Wait, you, think, wait you, you, you think that's an ESPN thing? Or do you think that's a... The games, used to, the games fa- used to start at 10. Now they're starting at 11. And when I'm saying it, no, it's not a new thing, obviously. But the issue being, you know, we talk about the East Coast bias. You talk about the East Coast bias. Who the hell is watching? What can you do when the games start at 11 o'clock at night? No one's watching. You can't watch them. It's, 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 it's not fathomable unless you're me. And it's the only time you get away from your wife and your kid. Exactly. Wow. Hey, I love my wife. I love my kid. I love college football. And, but my <laughs> wife doesn't. Not necessarily, ladies and gentlemen, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> oh, no. Necessarily in that order because I like, my, <laughs> I like to, to remain married. But... Um, <laughs> But Carly falls asleep at 10.30 or so. I watch the fourth quarter of whatever ABC game is on, and then inevitably there's like a Washington state Cal game at 11. It starts at 11.30. So I watch for a few hours and then eventually just pass out while watching. But it's hard to watch because it's so late. Um, you have yeah. a quarterback like Baker Mayfield from Oklahoma. You know, you have – there are other players there. It's, is Saquon and Barkley in the lead? Absolutely. But by no means is it a given under any stretch. Is there anybody on Alabama? No. As strong an Alabama team as this is, um, the running back Harris is really, really good. Jalen Hurts is not a, it's just not a Heisman-esque kind of quarterback. He's never going to get the statistics. The problem is when you're winning every game 35-3, to three, or you know, when you beat Tennessee 45-7, to seven, you know, you're taking out your starters halfway through the third quarter. They're just not going to get the statistics that are necessitated to win. So the only guys that could ever win on a team like that are the running backs because they'll get right. their stats well, you, early. Right. Well, you, you look at Alabama, and, that, you know, the Heisman, it wasn't I mean, Mark Ingram, running back. Right, and Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry. I forget. Did Derrick Henry win the Heisman? I believe he did. I don't think so. I could be wrong. I, I, I'm, I'm forgetting, so maybe I'm wrong. But, I mean, you know, you don't hear quarterbacks. You've never heard a quarterback from Alabama, ever. There's no quarterbacks ever won from Alabama. As Jake is attesting to right now. Yeah. Uh, Jake, Jake's up for the Heisman in 2014. So, 2014. 2014? 2014? <laughs> 2040? He's going to be 26 years old. Is he going to be? Is he going to BYU? Is he going to no, be 40, he's like being the Chris Wenke. He's going. No, he's going to have a baseball career first. Nice. So you hear that little man? You're going, be, you're going to be a lefty. You're going to be a lefty pitcher, a setup pitcher. You're going to pitch to one batter every way, game. You're going to make three million dollars. Derrick Henry won the 2015 Heisman. Oh yeah. There you go. Oh, I beat you on a couple of baseball, so it's, I guess it's fair that you beat me on college football. There you go. There you go. So, so over, overall, you know what? It's been an interesting week in sports, but not a great week in sports, right? I mean, when, when it comes right down to it, 
I love how you say the dog days of summer are the hardest on you, and yet we're struggling for material today. Oh, I don't see. I'm not struggling at all, but I'm just kind of letting you lead it. Well, you're not bringing anything to the table, Kimosabe. So, so lead away. Okay. Well, I was going. What I was thought we were going to discuss. Well, I also want to talk a little bit of NBA. Um, did you see the article? The, the undefeated with their revised 50 greatest players of all time. I did not. Did you see this or no? Okay. So Mark Spears, who, who runs the undefeated, which is a kind of a sub for ESPN, kind of, I guess, a, a subsidiary of ESPN. And I'm pulling up right now because this is about the 20th anniversary of the 50 greatest players of all time. Which there was a lot of controversy because because you had Shaquille O'Neal who had made it after three years of being, three years of playing, and a guy like Dominique Wilkins who was fifth all time and sixth all time in, in, in points, and actually didn't qualify, and was not very happy about it to say the least. So they redid it this year, and. Let me guess. Wait, wait. Let me guess. Let me guess. Shaquille still made it, and Dominique still did not. Wow. Look at you, Kreskin. (laughs) I'm just stating the obvious here. Dominique's probably unhappy again. Of course he is, but I I think he understands it. You know, it's a little bit easier to explain it at this point that if he didn't make it, if you didn't make it five, if you didn't make it um, then, twenty years ago, probably not going to make it now. And hold on, I'm pulling up. The, I'm pulling it up right now. I'm fifty pounds, fifty basketball. So they replaced 14, 14 of the players. And I'll get your thoughts on this. So hold on. Well, I'm wondering if they replaced the older players or some of the younger players. Well, I will tell you who they replaced, and you'll know one or two who okay. I'm not very happy with. Tiny Archibald. Okay. Clyde Drexler. Drexler was definitely yeah, replaced. <laughs> he was. And Mitch Richmond might have been replaced as well. Richmond wasn't on the team. Okay. Well, that so, makes it one last. Okay, so they, they replaced Tiny. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to go through the list. Hold on. Except Jake is now sitting on the computer, so it's a little bit harder. Okay. They replaced... Nate Archibald, Dave Bing, Dave Cowens. Oh, hey, Jake is trying to buy cable. Okay. Um, Dave DeBusher, Clyde Drexler, Pete Maravich, Robert Parrish, Dolph Shays, Sam Jones, Bill Sharman, Wes Unsold, Bill Walton, Lenny Wilkins, and James Worthy. So, actually, a good mixture... Of the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Okay. Well, the, well, not really, because the there's only like three guys left from the 50s. Paul Arizin, Bob Cousy, and George Mikan. So, no, I was just talking about replacing. If you're just going to replace people, you're replacing pretty much three from every year, if I, if I heard it correctly. Okay. So here are your replacements. Ray Allen, Kobe Bryant, no. Stephen. Uh, no. Well, I don't think Ray Allen should be on there. 
So, no. Okay, well, let me finish going through the list, and we'll, we'll discuss it. Stephen Curry, Tim Duncan, Kevin Durant, Kevin Garnett, Allen Iverson, LeBron James, Jason Kidd, Reggie Miller, Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki, Paul Pierce, Dwayne Wade. Okay. So there are a couple names there. One of them makes no sense to me at all. Um, But there are a couple that I would say are pretty debatable. You already said Ray Allen. Oh, I, I don't think Ray Allen has any business being on that list. None whatsoever. You? I would take him over Reggie Miller. Oh, but, I would agree with that too. But, I mean, but maybe neither one of them has any business being on that list. Neither one of them was better than Dave Bick. Personally... The three or four guys that I would probably take, that I'd probably keep, I would keep the Busher. Because everything I've ever read about the Busher says he was the toughest player that pretty much ever lived. I would keep Draxler because, well, he's Clark Draxler. Draxler. Um, I would probably keep Bill Walton, although that's a harder discussion because he, he kind of like Sandy Koufax, had a great four or five year span all world, and then kind of then fell off. It wasn't, um, Seth, but it wasn't, with Walton, it wasn't even five years. It was like three. Three. I, 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 I agree with Walton being off the list. I completely agree with him being in the, in the Basketball Hall of Fame for reasons that we've discussed, but he's not in the top 50. I, I think I probably said no to him when it first came out. I would probably take the Busher and Drexler over Allen and, Allen and Miller. Those would be the two. Nash is the other big argument. It's a it's it's a tough call with Ash, and also Stephen Curry, who while is phenomenal, is not. He's only been playing for six or seven for seven years, so it's kind of like the. But again, now he's won two MVPs, right. so it's it's arguable. But here's the thing. How do you put Stephen Curry on there and not put Steve Nash? You just made the argument for two MVPs, and Nash had a far better career longevity-wise than Curry with two MVPs. So if, if the no, argument for he Curry did, is... He did, he did and he didn't. Because Nash, the first five or six years of Nash's career were not... You know, he was a backup for kid, for kid in in, in, um, in Dallas, he you know he he went to to Phoenix after four or five years, and only at that point did he start to you know did he become Nash. Now you Hold can make second, the argument no. that so I'll make it with Curry because Curry's played six years. If he's played six years, I think it's about six. His first two years, they weren't even sure that he was going to play anymore because of his ankles. So they gave him that lovely four-year extension that they just paid off handsomely. So obviously he wasn't Stephen Curry. So that's a third of his career that he didn't become Stephen Curry. And he, you know what? I hope that he, this doesn't happen, but he could certainly drop off the face tomorrow, get hurt and, and be the Grand Hill. 
right? So, by, by the way, there's your comparison with Bill Walton. If Grant Hill doesn't make it, Bill, and who had a longer, longer period of being an all-world player, then Bill Walton certainly doesn't make it. I don't believe yes either one no. of them deserves it. The I don't believe either one Walton of them deserves the, it. Well, the difference is Walton, for those two or three years, was the best player in the NBA. Grant Hill was, at no point, the best player in the NBA. Agreed. Okay, I can go with that. I can agree with that wholeheartedly. Okay, so, so Seth, this is, this is definitely something we should, we should touch base on next week. We'll continue on that next week, no question about it. We've got about two minutes left. Would you like something else to say as your last go-around? No, I'll let, I'll, let you, I'll let you run with it if you got Okay, well, it's interesting that John Ledecky and those that who do not know who John Ledecky is, you're in the majority. Not the minority, but the majority. John Ledecky is the new owner of, well, two years of the New York Islanders. And John Ledecky did something that was very impressive. He not only took the Long Island Railroad to Barclays Arena, but he met this 94-year-old woman on the train who went up and somehow she, she knew who he was, went up to John Ledecky and said, you know, I was at the first Islander clinching game in 1980. She's 94. And he said to her, he's like, have you been to an Islander game since? He goes, she's, she, was on her way, she was on her way to Manhattan. And she said, yes, I had at the Coliseum, but I haven't been to a game since they moved to Barclays because they're at Barclays. And he said, you're going to be my treat tonight. And Ledecky, who, if those that are unaware of Mets and Islanders and even Rangers who take the trains to the games, this happens very often in hockey where players do take the trains to the games. Ledecky Ledecky picked up the 94-year-old woman and her entire family and brought them to Barclays to see the Islanders play the Sharks, gave them, like, second row seats. It was quite an impressive thing. And sometimes, you know what, owners aren't necessarily the bad guys. And sometimes you've got to cut them some slack. So next week, we're going to go through this top 50 because I'm really interested in getting into this a little bit more. And so if you have any comments, please comment on the website or on Twitter, Seth and Sean Sports. For Seth Gamins, this is Sean Palmer, BackSportsPage.com, Seth and Sean Sports Radio. Next week, top 50. Week after that, we do our, M- our NCAA preview before Sean goes off to Malaysia. Okay, we'll talk to you guys later. Have a, have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye. Have a good one.